In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. On this eve of our Lord's nativity, it is good and right and salutary that the church keep vigil. Vigil is a word that simply means a period of wakefulness dedicated toward prayer and waiting. Vigils especially occur at night, although this year, with Christmas falling on a Monday, we keep vigil here in the morning, a period of wakefulness and prayer and waiting as we look forward to and anticipate our celebration of the birth of Christ. Vigils are something that the church has historically done throughout the year at various key moments. The vigil of the nativity, the vigil of the epiphany. Of course, as we still celebrate it today, the vigil of Easter. There's even a vigil of the ascension, the vigil of Pentecost, and so on. Vigils are important, especially for us today. Vigils are a time to recall the promises of God and to anticipate their fulfillment among us. And so this day on the eve of our Lord's nativity, as we wait in vigil for the coming celebration of our Lord's birth, it's good and right that we recall a number of our Lord's promises as we await their fulfillment among us. And it would be difficult to start anywhere else than the very first promise, the first gospel that our Lord gave to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. This is an important promise, though it's interesting in the way that it is surrounded. This promise is in the midst of God speaking to the serpent who had just tempted Adam and Eve to fall into sin. And in speaking to the serpent, God says this and gives this promise to Adam and Eve and indeed to all of Adam and Eve's descendants. He says to the serpent, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first gospel, the first promise in the scriptures pointing toward our redemption, the redemption of mankind, our salvation from sin. Adam and Eve have just fallen into sin, and yet God has a plan. There is one whom he will send who will defeat this deceiving serpent forever. One who will bruise or crush the head of the serpent, even as his own heel is bruised. Adam and Eve, of course, did not see the fulfillment of this promise in their day, but we know that history has indeed seen the fulfillment of this promise in our Lord Jesus, who through the deception of the serpent was put to death for our sins. He bruised and crushed the head of death itself as his own heel was bruised and attached to the cross where he would suffer and die. And yet this promise in Genesis 3 has more to it as well. Because this coming one, this seed, is said to be the seed of the woman. 
which is very strange language. Biblically speaking, the seed comes from the man. One would be the seed of their father and the offspring of their mother. But this promised one is said to be the seed of the woman, foreshadowing that there would be no man involved in the conception of this coming one. It would be from the Holy Spirit alone that the virgin would conceive. And so as we've said, Adam and Eve did not see the fulfillment of these promises, but they waited, trusting in faith, looking forward to the day when they would be fulfilled. Thirty some odd chapters later in the book of Genesis, there is another Joseph, son of Jacob, not the Joseph, son of Jacob in our gospel text for today, but the Old Testament patriarch, Joseph. He has a promise made to him in Genesis chapter 37. And it's an interesting parallel to our gospel text for today because a man of the same name is given a dream. And in that dream... A promise is made. We read in Genesis 37, beginning in verse 9, Then Joseph dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? See, Jacob rebukes Joseph because he understands the content of his son's dream. He recognizes that this indeed is a promise from God, a promise that he's maybe not all that happy about coming about. And yet it is a promise that is made through this dream that Joseph would be in a position of power where his father and his mother and his brothers would come and bow down before him. It is a promise that God would use a man to save the earth. A salvation that would come only after being mistreated and thrown down into the pit. And of course, that is exactly what happened for the patriarch, Joseph. His brothers mistreated him and sold him into slavery. He was thrown out, down into the pit of the dungeon. And from the pit, God raised him up to the right hand of the ruler of Egypt, where he was lord over the whole land and where under his rule, salvation was brought about, not just for Egypt, but for the world through the time of famine. And so we see this dream, this promise made to the patriarch Joseph is fulfilled in a very real sense in Joseph's lifetime, and yet it is also true that the fullest sense of this dream's fulfillment did not come about in Joseph's time, most especially because Joseph's mother never came to bow down to him. She died. And so God's people were left waiting once again for the promise to be fulfilled. 
living and trusting in hopeful expectation of that day. And then there's Joshua, a little while later in Israel's history. The great leader, the great prophet of God's people, Moses, had died. Joshua, Yeshua, which means Yahweh's salvation, was appointed to be the leader of God's people, the leader in place of the prophet Moses. He would be charged with the task of leading God's people into their eternal home in the promised land, to lead them in their battle against the enemy, granting God's people eternal peace and rest. In preparation for this, the Lord speaks to Joshua and says, Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Notice that this promise that the Lord makes to the Old Testament Joshua is a promise that is contingent. A promise that is contingent upon obedience, living a righteous life, being a just man. Be careful to do everything according to what was instructed you. God's promise, the salvation of his people, the granting of an eternal home requires obedience. And we know from the rest of the book of Joshua and especially into the book of Judges and beyond that God's people were not totally faithful. Joshua, for the most part, was. But once Joshua stepped down, the people failed to do everything according to God's instruction through Moses. They failed to drive out their enemy. They began to conform to the pagan ways of their neighbors. And so their eternal home was left abandoned as they were exiled. God's people were left waiting for the fulfillment of this promise for the one who would be the greater Joshua who would exhibit a perfect obedience in order to grant God's people their eternal home. Fast forward a number of generations and then there, of course, is King David, the man after God's own heart, appointed to be the king of God's people who was to set things right. And yet David, as we know, was a flawed sinner as well. And yet, God made a promise to him. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The promise made to David was not that he would live and reign forever, but that his seed, his descendant, would be set up as king, who would establish an eternal kingdom, who would build a house for the name of the Lord to dwell. We know that, in part, this was fulfilled in David's son Solomon. David even lived a little bit to see this, 
as he got to help in the plans for the construction of the temple, he saw his son Solomon ascend to and sit upon his throne. And yet Solomon, whose name means the son of peace, brought in his reign a temporal peace, and yet there was still much strife. There was still much that was disordered before God as Solomon brought in pagan gods to be worshipped. Solomon was not the fulfillment of this promise that God made to David. Israel, as we said before, was exiled from this kingdom that was supposed to be the eternal kingdom. And God's people were left waiting, waiting for the fulfillment of the promises, waiting for their salvation, which had been promised from the very beginning. And so it is that when the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ is about to come about, another promise is given. An even greater promise than any of the promises that had been given to God's Old Testament people. This promise that we heard read from St. Matthew's Gospel is a promise given to Joseph, who is also Joseph, the son of Jacob. Joseph is, too, the son of David. He is the legal heir of the throne of Israel. His son would sit on the throne. Joseph's son, who is David's son, would establish an eternal kingdom that was promised to David. And this son, we are told, is to be named Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, Yahweh's salvation. He is the one who would bring about the salvation that Joshua could not. He is the one who would live a life of perfect obedience that the Israelites in Joshua's day and afterward could not. He is the greater Joseph, the one who would indeed reign over all the earth at the right hand, not of Pharaoh, but the right hand of God the Father. He would save all men through his death on the cross, having been raised up from the pit of death. And of course, most significantly, Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary as we confess in the creed. That which was conceived in Mary was not brought about by Joseph, but by the Holy Spirit. He is the seed of the woman who came to crush the head of the serpent to save God's people from their sin. Christ is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament promises that God made to his people. And Joseph, Joseph, as he has this dream, this revelation from the angel, is invited to believe this greater promise, a promise that he will not see fulfilled in his lifetime, but a promise that is very real and tangible, a promise that must be believed 
by all who would have eternal life. And so just like the Old Testament figures before him, Joseph is called to live by faith, trusting that he will see the fulfillment of all of God's promises, if not in this life, certainly at the resurrection on the last day. My friends, this is our call as well. We who wait here in vigil, waiting to celebrate the birth of our Lord, we wait not just for a birthday party. We wait for the end of all things. We wait for the final fulfillment of all of God's promises because they haven't completely come about yet. Notice the future tense of the promise in the end of verse 21. He will save his people from their sin. It's a now and not yet reality. Christ has brought about your salvation. It is a done thing on the cross, and yet you do not experience the totality, the fullness of it yet, as you wait for the kingdom that will not end. Christ has come. Christ has accomplished our salvation, but we are still waiting. We're left to trust in the promises. And so as we prepare to celebrate our Lord's first coming, we also await the fulfillment of all things at his second coming, which the early church believed would happen on a Christmas day, maybe this year. And so we live and trust in God's promises as we await our salvation through the fulfillment of those promises. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand for the offertory.